Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurritson. Today, we'll be breaking down the top 10 fantasy storylines of Week 8. Please check out the Wednesday edition of the podcast for a game-by-game breakdown from myself and Dre McFarlane. And tune back in Friday for a recap of Thursday Night Football as well as injuries to watch going to the weekend. Have a very special guest on today to help break down some of the week's most pressing topics. NFL analyst for CBS, longtime veteran and expert of the game that we lovingly know as fantasy football, Jamie Eisenberg. You can find Jamie on Twitter, at Jamie Eisenberg. Jamie, thank you again. Again for making the time, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to doing this and talking football with you. Absolutely, man. It's wild that week eight's here. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were just kind of wondering if we were to get this season at all, but we have. It's been great, and we got plenty of questions to follow up. So as I said before, 10 key topics to go through. Let's get after it. First thing, so the Panthers are hopeful that Christian McCaffrey will be back Thursday night against the Falcons, but it's still seemingly pretty up in the air. We got Mike Davis, who has truly played great during CMC's absence. And I mean, seriously, Mike Davis this year, the league's single uh, number one leader in force missed tackles uh, uh, per touch this season. Uh, so Coach Matt Rule did say Davis will still play with um, McCaffrey active. Do you buy the idea that this will look anything like a two RB committee once the Panthers get CMC back? Or is this just an example of some classic coach speak going on? I think it's probably a little bit of both for week eight. And then moving forward, it probably goes back to McCaffrey being the guy. But, you know, he's got a long absence. And anytime you see that, you don't want to risk any recurrence of injury and and certainly don't want him to have to miss any time moving forward, especially since, shockingly enough, when he went down, everybody thought, okay, season's over. They're not going to be a playoff team. And they put themselves in playoff contention. So I guess for week eight, you know, you may see a little bit more of a committee, especially with a short week of practice time for McCaffrey. But moving forward, no way. I mean, he's been so tried and true as a featured back. He's the, the epitome of the things that we love as a fantasy, uh, you know, a player, uh, a fantasy running back, you know, especially with what he does in the passing game. So, I mean, Mike Davis has earned a role, you know, you can't, you know, overlook what he's done for this team, but don't take Christian McCaffrey off the field. Don't, don't do that to us, please. Yeah, McCaffrey hasn't played fewer than 85% snaps in a game since 2017, other than that injury-shortened affair from earlier in the year. The interesting thing that, uh, you know, I think we need to actually question that moving forward, though, man, I mean, in these first two games with McCaffrey active, we didn't quite see that same overwhelming target share. And some of the cool, you know, stats we got behind the, you know, paywall and all that, PFF, one of the things is first read targets. And last year, Kyle Allen, uh, his targets to McCaffrey, 54% of them came on his first read. This year, Teddy Bridgewater, is targeting his running back at a much more league average rate of about 35%. That's why we're seeing Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, you know, get fed these targets and have such big years. Are you concerned that maybe McCaffrey won't have that same sort of robust receiving workload once he's back? Or do you think they're just going to find a way to get their $64 million guy the ball? I think they'll probably find a way to get their $64 million <laughs> guy the ball. And, and the best indication, you know, while it may not be his first read, is what Mike Davis has done in the, you know, absence of Christian McCaffrey replacing McCaffrey. And so, it was so funny just to watch how that all unfolded because the first two games were like, okay, he's still going to be good. He's probably still going to be great, but is he going to be, you know, MVP caliber uh, record-breaking type of player? And that was, you know, probably a no going into the season. If you expected that, you know, you don't play fantasy the right way because year over year, you know, those type of numbers aren't re- replicable. But still, uh, the fact that Mike Davis and what he's done in the passing game and, and looking like Christian McCaffrey with his receiving numbers, his receiving prowess and how Teddy Bridgewater and the offense leaned on him, you know, that was what you were hoping to see from McCaffrey. So now that you've seen that from Mike Davis, now you're getting McCaffrey back. And now you know what this offense is. You know, I think one thing that we probably overlook a little bit too much, and you, you sort of brought this up when you said, you know, we didn't expect to have a season, is that was the first two preseason games, essentially, for Teddy Bridgewater. That was his first time in this offense with this uh, staff, with this, you know, his teammates. And so, you know, he didn't have, you know, the full complement of what Christian McCaffrey could be. I'm sure he obviously knows, the coaching staff knows. But now they're, you know, uh, 
X amount of games into the season, and they should be well aware of what their running back should be able to do, certainly the $64 million guy. So I would be shocked if McCaffrey is not doing what he typically does in the passing game, maybe not to the same heights, but still at a very good level. It really has been impressive, actually, the way that Teddy has been able to start, you know, fairly hot uh, considering all the, you know, just turnover they had throughout that entire passing game. And to your point about Mike Davis is still getting fed targets, whatever read uh, they happen to be on. Yeah, only Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott have more targets than Mike Davis this season. I'm with you. I think McCaffrey will be just fine, even if he isn't breaking the reception record uh, two years in a row. All right, uh, topic number two here. So through seven weeks, Joe Burrow is the overall fantasy QB8, QB17 in fantasy points per game. You know, we got the bye weeks here skewing some of those numbers. But either way, we've seen him flirt with legit upside when not facing off against the Ravens or the Chargers. This week, we get a Titans defense that, you know, isn't bad, but they also haven't necessarily excelled at getting after opposing QBs this year, which we've seen that be kind of Burrow in this passing game's kryptonite. What do you make of Burrow in this passing game in general in this spot? I love Burrow this week. I'm just concerned, you know, they have two injuries on the offensive line. How much is that going to impact a line that's been bad already? You know, so um, that that's really, it's, it's such a slight concern because it's like you just throw five bodies in front of Joe Burrow and he should be okay. Um, that's essentially what this offensive line has looked like. Uh, it seems as if there's going to be no Joe Mixon again based on the Wednesday practice report that he wasn't out there. So Giovanni Bernard, you know, he adds a different element to the game based on how he plays and now the difference between him and Mixon, even though they've been using Mixon more in the passing game, which is great. But obviously, Gio is a little bit better of a route runner and a better asset to him in that regard of the game. The best part about it for Joe Burrow has been the resurgence of A.J. Green. You know, and now you have three legitimate pass catchers that can actually threaten the defense. And it's arguably one of the best receiving cores in the NFL when all these guys are playing at the level that they're at right now. And so uh, with what they do with Drew Sample in a little bit, it's hard to defend the Bengals. And so, like you said, the Titans defense is not good. Uh, I thought they did a better job than expected against Ben Roethlisberger last week. But a lot of that was Ben being Ben and having some of the brain farts that he typically does. So the three turnovers uh, were, were uh, a little frustrating, but you know, Burrow in this matchup with the volume you get from him, uh, he'll run a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's got top 10 upside in this matchup for sure. Yeah, volume, most dropbacks in the entire league so far through seven weeks. And just keep the guy clean and he's fine. He's got 100.6 QB rating, averaging 7.6 yards per attempt. When not under pressure, that drops all the way to 57.6 QB rating, just 4.9 yards per attempt when defenses are able to pressure Burrow. But yeah, when we've talked about just this immense volume going on since he, you know, with A.J. Green, a lot of people kind of wrote him off as being dusty. To your point, you know, he has come back and looked good uh, over the past few weeks. It seems like, you know, unless we're playing the Ravens or Steelers here, someone's going to overwhelm them. Them, just based on this volume alone and Burrow, you know, playing uh, overall pretty well. It seems like Green, Boyd, and Higgins can at least be, you know, wide receiver threes more weeks than not. In some cases, wide receiver twos, when you have all these yeah. bye weeks and injuries that we're dealing with. Yeah, you know, it's there's going to be some weeks, obviously, where they're not all playing well. It's like the Cowboys early in the season when they had Dak and the Falcons when everybody was healthy and Russell Gage was playing well. When you have three quality wide receivers and a running back that's going to be involved in the passing game, and again, sometimes they have the small sample size of Drew Sample. Um, you know, there, there's going to be guys that get left off and, and have some bad performances. And, you know, that the Colts game was sort of a, a weird one because the lack of touchdowns. But, you know, whenever you're seeing, you know, seven, eight plus targets for three different wide receivers, um, it's hard to overlook that with, again, the volume in this offense and how Joe Burrow has played as a rookie. So, yeah, I think it's hard to get away from one of those three wide receivers. And, you know, I was concerned that if Green was playing well, Higgins would fall back or if Higgins was playing well, you know, that was going to be the end of A.J. Green. So, like you said, a lot of people concerned about the early season production, but the last two or three games has been really nice to see that all three of these guys can still be really, really viable and can still be started on your fantasy roster. 
I do a, a wide receiver, cornerback, and tight end matchups column every week. And every single week, I make that same sample size joke about Drew Sample. I'm not going <laughs> to stop. It's a fun time. And uh, you know what? We're here to try and get some laughs. So shut up, people hating on it. Just accept it. Let's have a good laugh over it. Uh, next topic here. So look, winter is on the way, man. And Derrick Henry, that means that it's a very bad sign for defenses all around the league. Uh, just as you'd expect, you know, one of the league's running back that's already tough enough to bring down only gets better as the season goes on. Through his career, he's averaged 3.88 yards per carry in September. 4.33 in October, then we go up to 5.9 in November, 5.4 in December, and 5.2 in January. Truly a problem for anyone to get to the ground. Right now, he's on pace to rack up over 400 touches this season. How many RBs the rest of the way, so just week eight to week 17, would you actually rank ahead of him in terms of just rest of season fantasy projection? So obviously, Nat McCaffrey's back. He's on that list. Uh, Alvin Kamara's on that list. You give me a healthy Dalvin Cook, he'll be on that list, but it's a very small list. Um, you know, you got to worry about wear and tear if he's going to be close to 400 touches. Uh, he had over 400 touches, as we know, when you factor in the playoffs last year. I actually just got a chance to talk to him. We do a show on, on CBS Sports HQ. It's our, our streaming network. It's Fantasy Football Today. And he was on the show. Um, he's, uh, he's making the rounds for Old Spice. So, you know, I asked him what he learned about, you know, having his first loss and, and more, more specifically what it was like playing without Taylor Lewan. And so he said they're going to miss Lawan, but you have to wonder about that offensive line, you know, and, and how much that's going to be a concern moving forward because losing both of their tackles from a year ago, he hasn't run to the same level yet, despite the fact that he's leading the NFL in rushing. Uh, the touchdowns have obviously saved him. And shockingly enough, I know he had 18 whopping catches last year, but he's on pace for more this season just by a slight amount. Um, so he's, he's got to, you know, hopefully avoid the injury bug. Remember last year we had the calf injury which I'm sure ruined a lot of fantasy championships when you ran to get Deion Lewis and he was a big disappointment. Uh, so hopefully he could stay healthy and on the field. The offensive line isn't that big of a concern, but you know what he is. And, and you said it, the numbers speak for themselves. So as long as he's out there, he's a top five, worst case top eight running back. Cause he does get dinged a little bit in PPR, but I mean, still what that guy does uh, touchdowns yards um, you know, if they could throw them ball, throw him the ball a little bit more. I said to him, uh, you know, do you ever go to Mike Rabel or Arthur Smith, the offense coordinator and say, come on, man, just, just a couple more catches. Look what I do in space, you know? And he's like, no, I'm not that kind of guy. But if he ever did, uh, you know, if he can get somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 catches, he would just be an absolute monster, which is saying a lot because he's a monster. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Like, that's the only thing stopping him from literally being the number one back in fantasy. Get, get the guy the ball to open field. That's all we're saying. No one's trying to say that Henry is, you know, McCaffrey or Eckler-esque right. as a receiver. But you get that dude in space, and that's all they're ultimately trying to do. So, okay, I'm with you there on the fantasy, fantasy projection. But last night, had a couple glasses of sheesh, and I decided to ask, you know, a Twitter poll question where I said, aliens land on the planet and force us to play a game of football to save humanity pretty much. Current injuries apply, so there's no Saquon. You know, CMC still banged up. Who are we starting at RB to save humanity between Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry? Just so you know, right now with 10,000 votes in, it is 52% Derrick Henry and 48% Kamara. So, Jamie, that's I need great. you to break this tiebreaker for us, man. I, I would take Kamara, but you know, uh, again, that's that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, if humanity is on the line. It's hard not to take the alien that we have <laughs> against the alien that would be there. So, I mean, he's just. I don't know if you've ever seen Derrick Henry in person. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough. I, I used to cover, I say used to, because it's, it's not, not happening this year and then it was going to be moved to Vegas. So I'm based in Florida. I would go to the Pro Bowl every year and cover the Pro Bowl, not the games, but the practices. So uh, to stand next to him is, is a sight. And uh, my background, I'm a former newspaper guy. So I, I, I've covered the NBA. I've been around Shaq, you know, basketball players, uh, many, many football players. He's a different breed. He's just an absolute, ridiculously 
oversized human being that plays a position that does not necessarily have guys that size. And he is, uh, he's an alien. So, you know, if we had to save humanity, it's hard to go with, it's hard not to go with Derrick Henry. Yeah, I hear you, man. Every time I see that, uh, just picture from, I think it was like the Bama National Championship yes. where, Mark, where Mark Ingram was standing next to him. I'm like, who is this guy? And how is he? So same we, we, we talked to Mark Ingram. He was uh, uh, on our show on Radio Row for Super Bowl. And he was like, man, those guys did me dirty with that picture. He's like, he's in pads. He's in cleats. I'm in sneakers. He's close to the camera. I'm away from the camera. He's obviously bigger than me. There's no doubt about that. And then you guys put it, you know, whoever took the picture, you know, uh, did it like that. He goes, that's just wrong, man. That's just wrong. And then I asked Derek about that. And he was like, ah, just shut up, Mark. You're a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love the banter between the former Bama guys out they there. They actually have a text chain with their former uh, running backs coach or the running backs coach at Alabama. Um, so Josh Jacobs, Derek Henry, Mark Ingram, uh, Kenyon Drake. Nice. Um, I don't know who else is on it, but obviously those guys, uh, and, and, you know, we asked him about that. It's, it's, it's gotta be pretty cool. I'd like to get a sneak peek at that if I could. Yeah, seriously, man. That's some great stuff right there. All right, man. So sticking on the running backs for a second, we have the revenge game of all revenge games this week with Le'Veon Bell taking on the Jets. So last week, first three quarters, fourth quarter got a little bit funky, but we literally had snaps between Bell and Claude Eberzolaire almost split evenly uh, down the middle. And I think, uh, you know, that's fine. We can live at two back committees in fantasy football. The problem would be if DeAndre Washington, Daryl Williams or Darwin Thompson were butting their heads in this, but Washington got some run last week, but it was exclusively a mop up time in the fourth quarter. So it looks like that we're dealing with, you know, Bell and Claude Edwards-Alaire. We'll see how this thing kind of evens out. But, you know, ahead of this revenge game, I, I you know, Andy Reid seems like a cool guy. Are you ranking both Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Le'Veon Bell as top 24 backs this week? Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, you almost have to for two reasons. One, it's a tough position this week when you do your rankings. And two, uh, you, I mean, you know Edwards-Alaire is going to be there. But I would not be surprised if they gave, you know, Bell some opportunity, end zone opportunities. Look, we know Edwards-Alaire struggled to find the end zone. Um, this could be a blowout game as well. So, you know, this is a great opportunity to throw anything you want to at Le'Veon Bell of, you know, this is what we do in this situation. This is what we do in that situation. You know, get him as, as close up to speed and game action as you can, but also to stick it to Adam Gase and the Jets. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity. So if you have Le'Veon Bell on your fantasy roster and you're stuck and we know, look, there's no Cardinals, there's no Texans, there's no James Robinson, there's no Antonio Gibson. And then we have just a slew of injuries. If you don't have Giovanni Bernard or Boston Scott or, uh, Jamal Williams as the replacement options if those guys are going to be out again, plus the San Francisco and Seattle situation that we're dealing with. So, you know, a lot of running backs are, are missing from this week. If I have Le'Veon Bell, I'd probably use him as at least a flex, maybe a borderline starter. This could be one of those weeks where having him and keeping him through all of this injury uh, release, signing as a backup could come actually to, to pay some dividends for you. It's about the same, man. Him and then Leonard Fournette for him to go from Jacksonville to Tampa Bay. Like, it hasn't been smooth for either of these guys all year, but here we are in week eight, and both guys kind of are looking pretty good moving forward. Between those two, Le'Veon uh, and Fournette, which one would you rather have just, you know, all things equal the rest of the season? Well, that's a great question. Uh, at least with Fournette, you see what he's doing in the passing game, and Ronald Jones is always a fumble away from, you know, not playing if you just take the injury factor out of it. Obviously, if both guys get hurt, you'd rather have the starting running back for the Chiefs than the starting running back for the Bucks. So injury, I'd rather have Le'Veon Bell. But just in terms of everybody healthy, Fournette has shown you, at least in the two games that he's been healthy, uh, that he can be a significant factor. Yeah, good point on Fournette's pass down work. As Bruce Arians said after that game, he is their new nickel running back. So interesting <laughs> right. term for it. But hey, whatever it is, he is the pass down back for the Buccaneers seemingly moving forward. All right, I want to talk about the Detroit Lions here. I was one of, you know, 
okay, not that many uh, clowns out there that predicted the Lions would win the NFC North. So that's not looking good. You know, certainly underestimated Aaron Rodgers and company's ability to bounce back. But at least we were seeing this passing game turn around a little bit because the Lions have the, have the NFL's single best passing offense in EPA per play since getting Kenny Galladay back in week three. I realize there's still, you know, far too many annoying carries going to Adrian Peterson here, but at least Matthew Stafford and company getting back to, you know, being this kind of downfield oriented passing game that we saw take off in the first half of 2019. Up next is the Colts defense that, look, Jamie, I think they're overrated. What are your fantasy expectations for the Lions this week? It's such a fascinating game because uh, obviously you have how the Falcons, uh, excuse me, how the Lions beat the Falcons last week. And, you know, I, I, lucky, you know, in, in, in how the, the mindset is for the team as a whole. I'm always concerned when you have, I, I agree with you, they're overrated in terms of the Colts because of how they've, you know, performed against some of the worst teams in the NFL. But they are coming off of a bye, and you always have that two-week window to prepare for another team. And look, the Colts are in a really good spot in the AFC South, in the AFC, but they are still looking up at the Titans, and they haven't exactly played great all the way around. I mean, their defense has played well, but the offense has not exactly been clicking in all cylinders. I like the fact, you know, not to get off topic, but they're going to give Jonathan Taylor more work. In any event, um, the Colts can slow down the game. They can make it a little bit frustrating for the opposing offenses. So Stafford is somebody that I think you should still start. Um, anytime he has Galladay and Hawkinson and, you know, I like the fact that Daryl Bevel said going into last week's game, we got to get Marvin Jones going because you need to have at least another piece. I'd like to see them get Adrian Peterson off the field entirely and just use DeAndre Swift because speed kills in the NFL. And we know at this point, DeAndre Swift is much swifter than Adrian Peterson to keep those puns going. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Stafford is in that low end starting group. I would have a hard time starting him over Bridgewater, for example, or Carr, for example, or some of these guys that have better matchups, but he's in my top 15, you know, and so I think, you know, you don't have to get away from Matthew Stafford, but it's going to be a really curious game to see if he can take advantage of this. Because the fact that they only got the one touchdown against the Falcons was so frustrating <laughs> when he goes for 340 and can't get that second score. Yeah, we're on the same page. I have him as my QB 15 this week as well. And okay, to give the Colts a little bit of credit, you're right. They have not played anyone. I mean, Jaguars, Vikings, Jets, Bears, Browns, Bengals. But to their credit right now, I mean, one of the stats I really like uh, with PFF is we have contested target percentage. Worst defense in the league is the Raiders, as you, as you would expect. Only 12% of, you know, targets on their defense have actually been contested. Number one, though, is the Colts at 22%. So, you know, this is something I always kind of battle, like looking at wide receiver cornerback matchups. Like how much is this actual matchup mattering and how much is, you know, the overall scheme mattering? Because even if the players at cornerback maybe aren't the best talents as we've seen over the years, clearly the Colts are doing something right. How much stock, if any, do you kind of put opposing defensive matchups into your weekly projections? I, I know it depends on, you know, what we're talking about specifically, but just as a kind of a general, what are your thoughts on how much defense matters in fantasy? I mean, you have to, you know, I mean, you have, you know, we haven't seen it as much because I think, you know, the NFL has made a concerted effort to avoid holding calls, you know, to, <laughs> to make the product look a little bit better with everything that's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, typically whenever you get a wide receiver going against a tough corner, you know, you want to downgrade that particular player. Uh, whenever you have, you know, like, for example, uh, we, we just, you know, talked about the offensive line for the Titans. So their game last week, no Taylor Lewan against the Steelers defense that has the most pressure rate, you know, and, and obviously gets after the quarterback as well as anybody in the league. Um, you know, you downgrade Tannehill, who's been a very good fantasy quarterback. You downgrade Derrick Henry a little bit um, just based on that, that situation, you know. So those things obviously have to take, you have to take into account. If you don't do that, then you're not playing fantasy the right way. Um, more times than not, the offense will win. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's not smart to not factor in what the defense is doing against your opposing player because otherwise you're just going to make yourself frustrated. 
Yeah, don't sit your studs, people, but we got to work with everything we got access to. So a uh, quick shout out to our sponsor before we get going. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, people. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight today, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. All right, man, moving on. As someone that has talked up Cam Newton this entire offseason, it's been a been a rough uh, couple uh, weeks here moving for, uh, over the past few weeks. So, you know, Seattle game seems like it was decades ago at this right. point. And, you know, week seven would just seem like a new low. Belichick has confirmed that, you know, Cam will remain the team starter. You know, he also said that the COVID, he doesn't really think that's impacted Cam because he was asymptomatic the whole time. But right now, you know, with Cam playing this bad, the entire offense looks terrible. So do you think we see any of these pieces involved, and I guess including Cam, emerge as consistent fantasy options at any point in 2020? I hope so. Cause I was with you with cam. I mean, anytime you get a guy that runs like he does, that just adds a different element for fantasy. As we know at the quarterback position, uh, I think the problem is twofold one, you know, the lack of practice, you know, you have to factor that in with all the things that they went through um, is, is a big part of this. The other side of this is there's not a lot of talent around cam. I mean, you know, Julian Edelman has been so special because of his rapport with Tom Brady. That was something that I thought could happen coming off the Seattle game. I'm sure you probably felt the same way. Oh, yeah. And then it just disappeared. Uh, Nikhil Harry disappeared and he's banged up now with a neck injury or head injury. Excuse me. Um, I like the fact that they tried to work in Jacoby Myers last week. And maybe that's something that could add a little bit of a speed element to the game because they just don't have that. They don't have a downfield threat. You know, uh, they've made some bad moves. We know the Patriots always get credit for the good moves. The Muhammad Sanutre last year, as we know, was just awful, you know, second round pick for him. Uh, there are some receivers that are available, but you have to wonder if they're a buyer or a seller at this point, you know, with the Stephon Gilmore news. But, you know, if the if the Packers are knocking on the Texans door trying to get Will Fuller, imagine Will Fuller in this offense or a player of his caliber in that offense. Um, but again, you know, um, they just don't seem to have an identity. Uh, are they going to be a power running team? Uh, if that's the case, feature Damien Harris a little bit more. You know, we saw some some nice signs from him in that Chiefs game, and they haven't been able to follow through on that. Are they going to be a... a uh, you know, as much of a vertical offense as they have been or, or can be probably not. I mean, that's not Josh McDaniels MO. So uh, until we start to see some more consistent performances from them, like, I don't know if I want to cut Cam Newton on my fantasy team, but you may have some tough decisions to make. And so Edelman's expendable, Cam's expendable, um, James White's expendable. You know, it, it's, it's so hard to say that because you know what those guys are capable of doing, but at this point, it's just, there, there's gotta be a lack of trust from the fantasy manager and certainly from the Patriots at this point with how their offense looked. Yeah, we're pretty much on the same page, man. I'm hitting pause. I'm not canceling Cam Newton QB one season, but we got to hit pause. We got to see something from this offense. But to your point about the run game usage, before last week, Cam was on pace for the second most rush attempts ever by a QB in a season behind only 2019 Lamar Jackson. So if they do really get back to re-embracing that physical, you know, rushing attack as much as possible, I think Cam could still save his fantasy value just based on rushing volume alone. Uh, moving on here. So Derek Carr is just playing some absolutely great ball this season and showing off some new found a fantasy upside and also we're looking at baker mayfield coming off you know maybe the single best game of his career so raiders browns you know open with a game total of 55 and a half which was tied with vikings packers and titans Bengals as the single highest mark of the uh, week so looking at a situation where it could be you know a shootout here the one concern is you know projected wind gusts at 25 miles per hour in the forecast you know in fantasy we certainly care more about wind than we do precipitation so that's concerning but you know putting the wind aside for a second what do you like who what fantasy options do you think have the most value in these 
these Raiders and Browns passing attacks that, again, have been efficient, but other than, you know, Darren Waller, don't really have anyone all that highly ranked in them. Well, I think, you know, for, for Derek Carr, uh, finding Nelson Aguilar, which I know sounds crazy to say, has been a, a nice surprise for him, especially with Tyrell Williams not there and Henry Ruggs in and out of the lineup early in the season with the knee and, and hamstring injury. So, you know, having those two guys as downfield threats, or at least what they've been doing yards after catch has been certainly helpful to Derek Carr because we know he doesn't always throw down the field a lot, but when he does, he's been pretty efficient. Um, the lack of run game has been a problem for them too. I mean, you know, Josh Jacobs has disappeared, so it's almost forced the Raiders to put the ball in Derek Carr's hand. Um, and the Browns defense, as you, as you noted, um, not very good. You know, Joe Burrow just lit them up for 400 and, you know, multiple touchdowns. So Derek Carr has been playing really well. It's, it's easy to buy into him as, as a low-end starter. And again, I start him over Cam. I start him over Roethlisberger. I start him over Breeze. You know, so there's, there's a lot of guys you can look at Derek Carr and say he's a good play this week. Baker's the interesting one because, like you said, best game. It was his best fantasy game, 39 fantasy points if you go six points for Ooh. passing touchdowns. And so the ironic, the ironic thing about it is obviously Beckham gets hurt, no Austin Hooper, and Jarvis Landry gives you five for 48, and then he still delivers a five-touchdown you know, game. <laughs> He looked very much like the Baker of his rookie season. And, you know, a lot of people pestering him about it. And I get it. You know, the fact that he wasn't maybe in his mind having to force the ball to Beckham, not that the targets have necessarily been at such a high level Beckham only averaging seven targets per game, but still it probably every time he drops back, if it's not his first read, it's on his mind that he's got to make Beckham happy throughout the course of a game. So we'll see now without Hooper again, without Beckham, will guys like Richard Higgins and Donovan peoples Jones and, Hopefully Jarvis Landry can battle through the hip and, and, and rib injury. So I think both these guys are good. The, 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 the big factor for Baker is always volume, you know, cause he's never going to be a guy if their run game is going, that they're going to ask to throw the ball a lot. And last week, that's the fluky part of it. 28 pass attempts. So while he got off to a miserable start, I think it was 21 of 22 or excuse me, 22 of 23 to close the game. Um, you know, that, that's just not, you know, something you want to hang your hat on. So hopefully those two guys can deliver. I like Carr better than Baker, but, you know, Baker's in that Stafford range of, uh, you know, not a bad, you know, QB2. I think that's a smart way of looking at this Browns offense post OBJ. Obviously, all 32 teams in the league, if they could afford OBJ, like he is going to be starting for any team in the league. He's that good. But, you know, when you do kind of remove that, you know, piece from Baker's mind, just kind of let him get back to trusting to play more and just doing whatever, you know, that's calling for, it makes sense. He had three touchdowns last week where he got the ball out of his hands and fewer than two seconds, only had two of those in weeks one through six combined. So you, you, when we've seen him get in trouble over the years, you know, it's kind of that consistent, tries to roll out right, and just not really quite athletic enough to get away from some of these defensive ends. So playing more within the confines of the play structure and, you know, using his kind of off script ability a little bit more sparingly could be the way to go. And hopefully o OBJ can better uh, fit into the system here in 2021 and beyond. All right. So we got the 49ers Seahawks matchup basically featuring the battle of broken backfields. I mean, just injuries all over the place for both teams. How do you see these situations playing out? And is there like any back from Seattle or San Fran? Cause I mean, this is a pretty popular uh, kind of a waiver wire scenario. Anyone in particular here that, you know, you'd be prioritizing for week eight specifically. You know, I, I, hopefully it's Tevin Coleman, to be honest with you, you know, just based on what his track record has been. And you know, that the history with Kyle Shanahan, um, he was activated off of IR. The window for him to return is now open, you know, so the three-week window. That doesn't mean he's playing this week. But, uh, you know, if you just look at it, I don't know what the deal was with Jarek McKinnon last week. The fact that Kyle Han Shanahan said that they wanted to rest him, I, I, don't, I don't understand. You know, I mean, clearly it didn't matter because the game was well in hand and Jeff Wilson was awesome. 
but it's kind of the Mike Shanahan to Kyle Shanahan history. You know, Mike Shanahan would lose a running back. He'd find somebody off the street and he'd be awesome. It happened with Raheem Mostert for the 49ers last week. It happened with Jeff Wilson already once this year. So here we go with Jamichael Hasty as somebody who can probably just walk right in to this unbelievable system and be a plug and play RB two flex for your fantasy team. So he'd be my favorite of this entire group. Uh, if Carlos Hyde was healthy, it'd be a little bit different story, but he's battling the hamstring injury. So you can't trust him and the 49ers. I know their run defense and their defense as a whole is obviously not the same, but still they have been pretty good against opposing running backs overall. Um, you know, McKinnon, if you were to tell me he's going to work in the passing game, I'd probably say, okay, he's, he should be the best, but they get away from that. So it's such a, such a frustrating situation for what should be a fun game. Uh, but, but Hasty would be the one, if I had to go pick up somebody, that'd be the one I look for. Yeah, it's interesting with Hasty. They've only had him out there on the field for one uh, one snap all year as a pass blocker. So I wonder if it's just this thing where they just don't really trust him on passing downs. But at least they are making a concerted effort to try to get him the ball. I would like to see Tevin Coleman come back and do some good stuff, man, because he was so explosive in Atlanta over the past years. Last year, I believe he sprained his ankle in the second quarter of week one. He gutted out the rest of the year, and this year he gets hurt in week two. So I know he hasn't looked good in a long time, but to your point, yes, if Tevin Coleman is active, people, he's probably going to be the one we want because as we saw last week, I mean, Shanahan straight up said he went with Jeff Wilson over Hasty because he had more experience in the system and he trusts the guy more. So as flashy and good as Hasty has looked in certain reps, you know, ultimately it matters what Shanahan thinks, and he does seem to lean on his veteran backs when he has the option all right two more here everyone then we will get you on out of here so sunday night special just exhilarating game cowboys <laughs> eagles oh my goodness why did we not flex this but anyway uh, anytime the cowboys play it gives us at least an opportunity to benefit by starting the opposition's offensive players so the eagles i mean out of the gate they just look dreadful but we've seen carson wentz uh you know not return quite to 2017 form but we're at least seeing a guy that can move this offense up and down the field more weeks than not so and we got boston Scott, we'll assume Miles Sanders is out. We got Boston Scott, Travis Fulgham, Richard Rogers, maybe even Jalen Rager. Uh, who, how do you like these guys in this, you know, again, dream matchup against the Cowboys Swiss cheese defense? Yeah, got to like them a lot. I mean, you know, Wentz uh, got top five upside and, and to his credit, like you said, it may not be 2017 Wentz, but uh, what he's had to do with no offensive line in front of him without, you know, his top two receivers coming in and still down guys that they've made Travis Fulgham into this superstar and Boston Scott, you know, look like, uh, he just might like must like playing the Giants because his last three big games have come against the Giants. So we'll see how he does this week against a different opponent. But I mean, you've seen this Dallas run defense, what they made Kenyon Drake look like a couple weeks ago, what they made Antonio Gibson look like last week. So Boston Scott's in a great spot if he starts. Uh, the tight end is going to be interesting because the window to return for Dallas Goddard is open. Uh, if he's not there, Richard Rodgers, who had a better receiving day than Zach Ertz had at any point this season with the uh, with the yardage, you know, some more yards in the game than than Ertz had um, looked you know, the part of an Eagles tight end, which is, you know, another plug and play system that just seems to be, you know, find the next guy up and he does well. Um, and then the receivers are interesting. I mean, Fulgham's a must start without a doubt. If Rager comes, he's a good dart throw. If you're looking for some help at the receiver spot, but don't overlook Greg Ward. I mean, you know, he gets his, you know, six to seven targets. He scored last week against the giants. Uh, he's got a good rapport with, you know, Carson Wentz going back to what happened last year when their receiving core was so beat up. So all these guys are in play for sure, but the must starts for me would be Wentz would be Scott and whichever Eagles tight end, I'm sorry, when Scott Fulgham, then whichever Eagles tight end does start, whether it's Rodgers or Goddard. 
Philly and Minnesota, if we can just ever get these tight end situations clear, you know that the people are going to be able to ball out. We did see that with Rodgers last week. Real quick here, we've seen Wentz. I mean, a big reason why his fantasy value has remained steady despite, you know, the inconsistent play. It's this newfound rushing upside. This dude's got five rushing touchdowns this year. And, you know, and from 2016 to 2019, he only had three. But So he's running around more than ever. And, look, he's athletic enough to do it. Obviously, it's been effective. But, you know, not exactly the least injury-prone guy we've ever been dealing with. Let's say in a few weeks, you know, Wentz, unfortunately, I'm knocking on wood. Let's say Wentz misses time for any reason. Do you think Hertz could immediately be just a top 12, top 15 worst case option purely based on this rushing usage? Yeah, especially, you know, you hope at that point that Goddard is back and maybe Ertz, you know, depending on the window that you're talking about. But obviously Goddard would be a difference maker. You have Alshon Jeffrey back, you know, and you know what he's been to the offense, not necessarily as a fantasy player himself, but, you know, he's been such a good option for, for, uh, for Wentz. Uh, Rager at 100%. I mean, there's, there's some good weapons there, and obviously Miles Sanders. But the biggest thing would be hopefully the offensive line is healthy too. You know, they are they're getting Jason Peters back soon, uh, maybe after their bye week. Hopefully Lane Johnson will be okay. Um, but yeah, based on what, I mean, look, it, it's why you like Cam Newton. It's why you like Lamar Jackson. It's why you like Kyler Murray. Anytime you get a running quarterback, it's such a difference maker in fantasy, and you got to assume that Hurts would do that. So yes, absolutely, he'd be in the top 12 conversation. Quarterbacks that can run, running backs that can catch, the occasional wide receiver that gets the handoffs. Anytime we get these dual threat talents, people, they are pretty much fantasy football cheap. Unless your name is Taysom Hill. <laughs> Screw that guy, respectfully, of course. Okay, last here's last storyline of the podcast. Thank you again for the time, Jamie. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in as always, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. But so we got the Buccaneers on Monday night taking on the Giants. Last week, I called the Buccaneers my favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, humble brag, uh, thanks to their combination of elite defense and extending offense. Jamie, it's we're going to week eight. Who do you see matching up in the Super Bowl right now? And if you had, you know, gun to your head, pick a winner, who you got? Well, the AFC is pretty easy. I mean, it's hard to get away from the Chiefs. So I'll stick with the Chiefs on, on that side of the ball. I have the Saints. You know, uh, it seems like I've had the Saints for the last three years and they just keep getting knocked out in these just miraculously terrible ways. Um, but it's hard to argue with Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, the, the, the two things working against them is they've been relatively healthy despite the fact of Godwin missing time and Edmonds not at 100%. But they haven't suffered at least, the, well, Vita Bay, I guess now at this point, but um, prior to that, you know, they haven't really had that major, major injury to a superstar. And I don't want to discount Vita Vea, so maybe I'm just saying the wrong thing there. But in any event, um, adding Antonio Brown, they look like the best offense in the NFC. Um, so I think that's a great call to, to put them in the Super Bowl. But the other thing is we've never seen the host city have the team, you know, get there. Uh, at some point, at some point that has to be broken. And the, the city of Tampa has certainly been fortunate. You know, I know they lost the World Series but they won the Stanley cup. So it seems like there's some good karma coming their way. Maybe the super bowl city does get the super bowl team. Um, but the Packers look so good as well. You know, I mean, green Bay has been on just such an unbelievable run and Rogers, they should draft a quarterback every year in green Bay. If this is what they're going to get by motivating that dude, uh, I would just, okay. Second round, we'll take a quarterback. Third round, we'll take a quarterback. You know, we'll just keep stockpiling and do what they used to do with Ron Wolf and trade away a guy every year. And then, you know, they, they make a superstar quarterback for another team. But uh, I, if I had to pick right now, I'd say Packers Chiefs would be my call. Okay. I like it, man. Yeah. The Packers and the saints, I guess, to a little lesser extent, I think they have enough blue chip guys on their defense to maybe come together in the second half and become a little bit more respectable units. Seattle's the one where, okay, Jamal Adams will be uh, healthy eventually, but it's more of that pass rush that kind of gives me a pause and, you know, expecting them to get too deep uh, into January, obviously. Not, enough, yeah. Go ahead. Not buying Carlos Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> not quite man yeah it's funny when you just kind of you know you bring in Clowney to replace frank clark and then you just refuse to uh, address Clowney. you know okay I, I know these cornerbacks haven't exactly been holding up there in the bargain but you know it's no wonder teams were kind of moving the ball up and down the field on the seahawks uh pass defense all season long all right, man, that's going to do it. Thank you again for coming on, bro. Everyone, make sure you follow Jamie on Twitter at Jamie Eisenberg. Uh, you got anything you want to pitch up on the agenda over at CBS, man? Just check us out, CBS Sports HQ. It's our 24-hour streaming network, and we uh, we have our fantasy show weekly at uh, noon Eastern and then Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, so check it out. And, uh, you know, thank you again for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. For sure, dude. Good time talking as always. And thank you listeners out there for checking in as always the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Harditz. He's Jimmy Eisenberg. And until next time, take care, everybody.